when Megan and I um, decided that um, we said yes to God's best and he brought us to TGP, uh, I'm here to tell you that there were people that were here that was fighting for us, that was saying, we're going to fight for you. Not fight again, we're going to fight for you. You don't need to fight. We're going to fight for you. And at that time, Megan looks, he says, Rowan, we finally feel like we are covered. I was like, wow. And then we were talking and we're like, oh my goodness, look at God. He brought it to completion. We are covered. We didn't even connect it to. And so when I first, you know, decided, I'm like, I am not going four square. I don't even know what four square is. God's like, be quiet. <laughs> you need to be covered. Amen, <laughs> somebody. And so God has covered us with people that absolutely love uh, your pastors and they love this church as well. They serve us faithfully. Um, and so it's a joy. We went out to eat last night and I, I love Pastor Tim. He has such a beautiful heart. And God has given a strategic message. So I really want you to just be ready to receive, take notes. He's launching us into our theme. Amen. And uh, he shared what God put in his heart. And it's going to be an awesome message. Praise God. So with no further ado, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to turn the mic over to our assistant district supervisor, uh, Pastor Tim, who is not only our uh, leader, but he's also a great friend. Amen. So kind and gracious, God, we thank you. These next few moments, Lord, we just surrender over to you. We pray for your servant who has answered your call upon his life. He serves so many churches, and it's an honor and a privilege, Lord, that you will strategically align his schedule that he can be here this morning. You have given him a download from heaven. And I declare, Lord, that we are hungry for this manna that falls from heaven, Lord God. And we will leave this morning full of the power and the presence of God that we will know that we can leap over walls and we could run through troops, Lord God, that we truly are gifted by you. We give you the praise and we give you the glory. We pray for all those who are watching online and we pray that they will also receive a blessing as well. We give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus' name. TG, please show some love to Pastor Tim. Put your hands together as he comes and shares the word with us. Thank you so much. My goodness. This is too tall for me. You must be taller than I am. I'll just stand beside it. That happens everywhere I go. <clears throat> they make adjustable ones for midget-like people like me that speak at churches. So um, I, I get to go, as Pastor Rose said, I get to go all over our district, which is, is actually 15 states. It goes from Maine down to Virginia, over to Kentucky, up to Ohio. So and we're in the northwest part of our district and uh, we spend my wife and I she's usually with me we spend a lot of time on the road visiting different churches and I and and Foursquare is very diverse it's it's as different as the people that are in it and so every church has a different flavor and feel and leadership style um, and and and, and um, I gotta say the politically correct thing they're all good <laughs> some of them are great though and uh, I, I tell you what, if I lived anywhere close to here, I'd be driving to Marion to be a part of the gathering place on Sundays because this is, this is a special church. Uh, just, we could have kept going and worship Pastor Rich, you and your team. Uh, fantastic. Just so, so good. And thank you for not being driven by the clock. Not that that's wrong schedules, but 
so sweet just to be able to worship the Lord and spend time not hurrying, but enjoying and savoring and just kind of marinating in his presence. Amen? Amen. Okay, so when I, when I speak, I always am going to be asking you to say something to the person next to you. So make sure you know their name. You probably already do because you all love each other. I saw that earlier. But just look to that person now and say, get ready because he's going to make us talk to one another. And some people are like, oh, good. And some people are like, uh-uh. <clears throat> well, Merry Christmas. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm so pleased to be here. I, I really am. It's, I didn't really think about it that, that I would be here at the beginning of this Christmas season in terms of the message series is that, that uh, your church would, you know, is going into snow, uh, which is very cool what, what you just shared, Pastor Rowe, about being covered. Um, yeah, we do love your pastors. But I didn't really think about it in terms of, oh, I get to be a part of your series. So... Um, <laughs> The Lord knows, though, because what he laid on my heart is, in, in, a, in a way, very much talks about covering and being covered by the Lord. Um, the thing that I'm really curious about, though, everybody seems so um, perky this morning and happy. Are you all normally like that? Is that like a normal thing? It's not because of the game results, right? Because I, was, I, I checked the game before I went to bed, and I thought, man, I hope Ohio State wins. Because I'm sure that, that if, it would be a little different feeling in here if they hadn't won. Yeah. I'm from Wisconsin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not from Wisconsin. I've never even been to Wisconsin. So, <clears throat> so uh, I do want to bring you the greeting from our, our uh, supervisor, Pastor Peter Bernano, and his wife, Lisa. They are actually in Boston, Massachusetts this morning. And so they always ask me to extend their greeting wherever I end up going. And Susan, my wife, is usually with me. She also extends her greeting. She is uh, uh, at home this weekend. We, ha- we, we have four children and our youngest is 16, and uh, um, we, we think it's good with a 16-year-old boy that his parents are not always gone every weekend. So uh, it's just, just a little wisdom there. Just Someone needs to be around, ten in the shop regularly. He's a good boy, but he needs mom and dad to be there some. And so this is one of the weekends where she was at home with him, and her mom's been sick, and I covered your prayers for her mom. She's been in the hospital for a couple of months, and uh, she's not looking good, and so she's spending time with her mother as well. So... Have you ever been associated with something great? And y'all thinking, yeah, I go to the gathering place. Uh, besides <laughs> your church. Have you ever been associated with something great? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I have a nephew. Um, he's a, uh, actually a sophomore in high school. And his football team in the state of Maryland just won the state championship last Thursday. It's like a big deal. Yeah, and, he, and, he, and, uh, and unlike me, when I played football, because of what you can tell why, um, he, he actually plays a lot and is really good even though he's a, a sophomore. He's on the varsity team. They just won the entire state. Yeah, that's, a, that's being associated with something great. Yeah, for, for years I uh, pastored a church in uh, West Virginia. That's where I live is in West Virginia. And uh, that church is great. That's a great group of people like yourselves. I, I'm married to a great woman. Uh, Susan is a, f- a fantastic, fantastic wife. You ever thought about this, though? How often we use the word great. I mean, hey, have a great day. Boy, that was a great meal. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I mean, we, we, all of the time, it's almost as bad as love in terms of its overuse. We say great all the time. And we use the variations of great. We got greatest and greater and greatly and greatness. We say greatness to describe this quality of great that we see in people around us or in situations. Greatness means, means a distinction. It means illustriousness, high standing, importance, significance, fame, prominence. A lot of people in our world, they want to be great. 
Turn to the person next to you and say, I know some of those people. I know some of those people. Yeah. I mean, in every walk of life, in every part of life, there are people that are striving to be great. They, they want to be seen as great by their contemporaries, by those that are living with them. And, and some of them have enough foresight to want to be seen as great through the ages. They want a legacy of greatness. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But that desire to be great is as old as humanity. I mean, think, think about it in a negative sense. So we're at the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago. When the fall takes place in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent says to Eve, when she contemplates eating the fruit, the forbidden fruit, he said, you won't die. God knows you're going to be like him. Understand the difference between good and evil if you eat of this fruit. That, to me, sounds like stirring the, 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 the desire for greatness. Be like God. Of course, it was negative, but it's in us. That something about that was interesting to Eve. And she went for it, and we're still living with the fruit of that decision. Through the millennia, people have wanted to be great. Politicians, kings, military commanders, academics, even the celebrities of our day and age, they want to be great. They want to be remembered as great. And so we're heading into Christmas. And in Christmas, this the season of, of focusing on Christ's coming, on the incarnation. You see in the story in Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 3, you see another character in this, in this, uh, in this situation, in, the, in this uh, circumstance, King Herod. He's a guy that wants to be great. And he's willing to do anything negative to be great. He's willing to, he's willing to lie and cheat and deceive. He's willing to be a murderer of, of how many, we don't even know, hundreds of small children because he wanted to be great. No room for other people to be great around him. You see, it's inside of humanity, this desire to be great. But, but in the kingdom, greatness is totally different than in the world. Just, just like every other thing. You ever notice this? That if you want to know how God's kingdom works, look at the way that culture around you works and flip it upside down. It's, if, you, if you're wondering, does God like this? Is this his way? Well, is it, is it like the rest of the world? Yeah, it probably ain't God's way. You just flip it over. And in the kingdom, greatness does not come in the same way that it comes in the natural. It comes in the flesh. God, I say it this way. God calculates greatness differently. What he calls great, other people don't even see or recognize. It's funny because when you think about it, at the end of your days, at the end of my days, which I hope for a long time from now, and I'm drawing my last breath, the only person whose estimation of my greatness that will matter at that moment is him. He, it's at, the, the only, at the end, nobody says, boy, I hope people think I'm great. When we see him, it will be, Lord, what do you think of me? What is your opinion of my life? What is your opinion of my identity? All that will matter is his definition of greatness at the end. That's why we got to focus on it now. And so this morning, I've probably said the word great 50 times already, but we want to focus on what it really means to be truly great and how it is in this, in this upside-down world of the kingdom of God we can become and participate in the greatness of God. How do you get to be great in God's eyes? Turn to the person next to you and just say, I want to find out how I can be great in God's eyes. 
You're doing, you're, you all are really good. Some churches, I have to just beg them to do that. You all just like that. That's fantastic. If you have a Bible with you this morning, you have your device, would you go to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. And like everything else in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, that is, we don't achieve by striving. Have you ever noticed this? The harder you work to do something in the kingdom, it, it, it almost is counterproductive. We don't get it by working harder. We get it by receiving. We move forward in the kingdom by surrendering, not by striving, not by, by going hard at something. Not that I'm saying that, that our behavior is not important. Of course it is. But, but it, we receive through surrender. We don't sur- receive through striving. And so here's the key. If you're going to take some notes, and you don't have to, although the people that take notes sit closer to Jesus in heaven. So you might want to, you might, I'm just, that's not even in the Bible. I'm just kidding. Snow is in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. If you want to take some notes this morning, this would be one to write down. Humility is the means to greatness in the kingdom. Humility is the means to greatness in God's kingdom. If the scriptures show us Anyone in all of the, of the text, Old and New Testament, anyone who Christ following men and women ought to emulate, ought to model their lives after, it is Mary. Mary, who was humble. Mary, who is truly great. I mean, think about it. Thousands of years after she graces the pages of Scripture. By the way, she's not in the Scriptures a ton. She's, not, she's just not there that much. I mean, we, we see about her in these couple of places and we know about her. But she's not like this major character in the sense of FaceTime, if you will. She's not in every, every chapter. And if you think about it, I mean, even, even though she's not there that much, she has so much to teach us. And yet, I mean, she doesn't preach any messages. She doesn't work any miracles. We don't know that she influenced her community significantly. We don't, we, she never had a title. She doesn't have a role she doesn't have a particular um, place of notoriety. She has no position. And yet, arguably, she's the most significant woman that ever walked the face of the earth. Amen. Now think about that. How upside down is that? Doesn't have any of the things that we would say, oh, that's what makes someone great. And yet, she's great. We're here talking about her. We come to this time of year, you start thinking about her. I do. Until I hear that dreadful song one more time, Mary, did you know? I mean, I love that song. I'm just tired of hearing it, but I'm saying it. she's everywhere. We just start hearing about, I'm sorry. If you love that song, please forgive me. I apologize. I go, Mary, don't you know? No. She's a big deal. And her greatness flows out of humility. Humility in the scriptures, just let me give you a little definition. This is the words that, that we translate humility mean, mean things like this, like not rising far above the ground. So if something humble is low. It's being of a lower rank, having a modest opinion of oneself, behaving in an unassuming manner, being without haughtiness or pride. I'll say it this way to you a little bit differently. Humility is having an accurate self-concept. It's understanding yourself accurately. Turn to the person next to you and say, accurately. It, it's, it's about understanding who you are. Listen, not inflating, 
which we always think of, well, that's not humble. Of course that's not. But here's another thing. It's also not deflating or downplaying your value. So if, you, if we had a chalkboard, we could draw it this way. We would say humility is right in the middle. And there's pride above. Yes, the puffed up people. Sure, but you know what? Pride's also down here. Oh, I'm not worth anything. That's not true either. Right? So right in the middle. That's where humility is, okay? Accurate self-concept. Understanding ourselves without inflating or downplaying our worth. And, that, and that's Mary. That's Mary. I want you to look at Mary's humility with me. Let me read to you. Starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, but it'll be similar to whatever you're looking at. Let me read you this section of Scripture. You've heard it a thousand times. You probably know it by memory, but let me read it to you anyway, because it is Christmas. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. There's some greatness for you right there. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Can we stop and say amen to that? Amen. Amen. We live that reality right now. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in, in her old age, old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, if you're one of those people that writes in your Bible, this is one you need to underline. 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a woman. Four ways that Mary is, if you like numbers, here's four. Four ways that Mary is humble, that we see her humility. Number one, Mary is content. She's content. Mary's not, when we learn, when we meet Mary in this passage of scripture, Mary is not vying for anything. She's not trying to make a name for herself. She's not promoting herself. She's not talking herself up. She's not drawing attention to herself. She's just being herself when she is approached by the angel. And so Gabriel shows up um, and finds a very ordinary young lady. She's a very ordinary young woman. Humility enables people to be very comfortable in their own skin. And I'm not suggesting to you that means comfortable with your sin. Because some people say, well, that's just the way I am. Have you ever... If you're married, you probably have said this before, and I have. That's why I confess it as sin to you. Well, that's just the way that I am. I'm just angry. Deal with it. No, that's not what this means. That's not what contentment and humility are. The, the, the desire for others to make allowances for our sin. That's not what I'm talking about. But I mean being comfortable with how God made you and what he put in you and what your strengths are and what your limitations are. 
Humility enables people to be comfortable in that way, to accept their value, again, without inflating or downplaying their worth. Humble people are content. Mary was content. Mary didn't go to the angel. Mary wasn't praying, God, could I bear the Son of the Most High? That would be odd, wouldn't it? And so Mary was interceding. No, I mean, it's just... But you get this sense that she's just going along being Mary. She's engaged to Joseph. They, they're going to be married. They're, it's a betrothal period. It's probably about a year long, and they just haven't come together physically, but in all other ways, they are married. Um, and she's just being Mary. She's just living her life in Nazareth, content. And I think that there is something, and I'm, this is not in the Scriptures, so don't write this part down, but I think there's something of that contentment that attracts God's favor. When we're not um, vying, striving, seeking on our own, in our own strength, there's something about that that's very attractive to other people, but it's also attractive to the Lord. I think it's Psalm 133 where it talks about, I've become like a, a weaned child, no longer striving, no longer looking for something for myself, but just able to be held in the arms of the parent. That's what Mary's at. That's where she's at. So number one, Mary's humility is seen in her contentment. Number two, if you're writing it down, number two is this. Mary is filled with integrity. Mary is filled with integrity. Look at verse 34. This is an integrity verse. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, we read that because we read it every year, and it's scripture, so we should say it very appropriately. But I think it was probably more like this. How will this be? I mean, think about it. What is he suggesting? You are going to be pregnant. Mary knows herself. She knows her limitations. She knows the boundaries. She said, uh-uh. How is this? To, the, to the, the earlier part of chapter 1, Luke says that Gabriel, when he went to talk to Zechariah, and Zechariah said, how's my wife going to get pregnant? Well, we know how that can happen. They were married. And so Gabriel, he's on that. I mean, he smacks him down. That's when Gabriel, I'm sorry, Zechariah begins to not be able to speak. And Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. And who are you to say he can't do this? Now, fast forward whatever number of days, weeks, whatever it is. He goes to Mary. Mary says the same thing. Huh? And Gabriel says, oh, let me explain how it works. No, no pushback, no punishment, no rebuke, nothing. But yes, you're, you're right, young lady. This can't happen any way other than by a miracle. A miracle that had never taken place and has never taken place since. What integrity. This, this girl, this content girl, young woman, older teenage girl, whatever she was exactly, <laughs> looks an angel of God straight in the face and says, how can this be? Because I've not known a man. She's a woman that understands the boundaries of her life. And in humility, she has accepted those and will not cross them even for an angel. Amazing integrity. Willing to question this angel because it seems to run counter, of course, what he's saying seems to run counter to what God would command. So she's anchored in the truth. She stands in integrity. And that, that kind of integrity is a sign of humility. She knows God's ways are right. And she's not willing to compromise them. Here, here's the thing. Um, when we talk about humility, I don't know about you, but I have to be careful because my inclination is to immediately think, oh, that's weakness. And I want you to know that humility is never weak. Humility is actually strength. Because you abandon your ability 
to stand in your own strength and say, I got nothing except what he gives me. Humble people are conduits for the strength of the Lord. They don't rely on their own meager power to get through life. People of integrity are people of humility. And this is Mary. So, so Mary's humility is seen in her contentment. Mary's humility is seen in her, in her integrity. Number three. If you want to write it down, here we go. Mary is willing to trust beyond what she can comprehend. Mary's willing to trust even when she doesn't get it of what's being told to her. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her at that, po- at that point. I want you to understand, just be reminded, it's not because Mary got it. It's not because she went, Oh, I understand. Now I'm a virgin who's going to be pregnant. Got it. All right. Good enough. See you, Gabe. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what happened. Once she understood she didn't have to cross any line that God said don't cross and that she had been selected for this amazing honor, she was like, well, may it be to me according to your word. I'm the Lord's servant. I guess I'm good. <laughs> because there's no, wait, wait, do you struggle understanding the virgin birth? Raise your hand if you understand the virgin birth perfectly. Good, I'm glad your hands are down. Turn to the person next to you and say, I do find it a bit confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much more the, the lady that it happens to when the angel shows up and says, this is what's going to happen to you. I mean, she didn't get it. But at some point she said, I'm going to trust the giver of the direction rather than needing to understand the direction. See, pr- pride, pride says I have to understand it before I can believe it. Humility says I trust the one that gave the command and therefore I don't ever have to fully understand it. And that's Mary. That's Mary just saying, okay. Sign me up. In other words, she believes what we would probably think is an unbelievable statement, an unbelievable proposition from the angel. Mary trusts God when it goes beyond her brain to grasp him. And if we're honest, that's just about everything he tells us to do. It's all upside down, right? We just got them praying for the offering. Lord, would you take these that we're giving to you? We're trusting and believing that you're going to pour back into our lives. That in the natural doesn't make any sense. Oh, I get more by giving away. I'm enriched by being impoverished. Oh, I got hit on this cheek. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll turn the other one. I'm going to love enemies. None of this stuff makes any sense. We trust the giver of the command, not the, 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 our ability to comprehend what he is saying. Mary is willing to obey whatever the cost. That is humility. That's humility. She, her humility is seen in her contentment. It's seen in the fact that she has this deep integrity, that she has the ability to trust beyond her own comprehension of what's happening to her. Number four, probably the hardest one of all, Mary is willing to obey regardless of what it costs her. We didn't read this section, but you know it very well. Luke chapter 2 after they go back to Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary go back to Bethlehem for the, for the census. They need a place for her to bear the child and they can't find one. And verse 7 says uh, that they found um, a barn, a place for this child to be born. It says she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Mary, as this amazing example of greatness through humility signs up 
when she said in verse 38, chapter 1, may it be to me as you have said, I'm the Lord's servant, when she says that, she has no idea what she's getting herself into. She has no clue what's coming. All she knows is that I'm going to have a baby and I haven't been with a man. That's big enough. Um, but she has no idea what, what's ahead of her. As the pages of Scripture unfold, as we read about what this family goes through, she has no idea. And yet she sticks with it. I mean, even from the beginning. Think of the scorn. Now, you know, we, we spiritualize it because we can look back and see the whole story. But when you don't know the whole story at the front end, what do people say to her? Nobody, get it. Turn to the person next to you and say, nobody. One more time, say, nobody. Nobody believed that she was a virgin when she got pregnant. Because if it happened today, would you believe it? We'd be like, oh yeah, sure. Mm. Mary number two, the sequel? Right, yeah. It doesn't happen. And it didn't happen then. So she, from the very beginning, I mean, she start. what do they, you know, they do those pictures on Facebook in a little, you know, seven weeks. You know, she wasn't on Facebook doing that. She was doing this. Because <laughs> people were whispering from the beginning, you broke your vow to your husband. Or he broke his word to all of us by taking you before your wedding. So she, from the beginning, she has the scorn of, of, of friends and neighbors. And my goodness, I can't imagine her family believed her. As much as, they, every, as much as every parent thinks their child's an angel, her parents were not believing that she didn't fool around. So from the beginning, there's this scorn. There's this hurt. There's this whispering. And then they've got to go back to Bethlehem. And they've got to, they've got to register for this, uh, this Roman census. And while they're there, she ends up having a baby. Not with her family. Not with her mom there. Not with the, 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 the midwives that knew what they were doing. She's got Joseph, and he's probably clueless, like most men would be in that situation, trying to help her have a baby in a barn. And we say, oh, the baby's in a manger. That's a feed trough. And probably a really dirty one. That's a sacrifice. And just when it seems like things are starting to get back to normal, they get the dream, hey, go to Egypt. Herod's going to try to kill the baby. And so up in the middle of the night and off to a foreign country. And that's just the beginning. It goes on and on and on through her whole life till she watches him be crucified. She said yes to an obedience that would cost her constant pain for the rest of her life. Man. Such humility. And she chose to do it because he said, I, I've picked you. I want you to do this special thing for me. Would you, would you submit to me? And she said to the angel, and hence to the father, may it be to me as you have said. Such humility. And we celebrate her now. Man, she's special. Her humility is seen in contentment. It's seen in integrity. It, it's seen in her willingness to trust when she can't see what's coming. But she can't understand it, comprehend it. And and the ability that she had to continue to walk this thing out for the rest of her life, because it never went away. It was the rest of her life. She didn't scheme. She didn't compromise. She didn't doubt. And she never stopped obeying. This, this is greatness. True humility is the seed that grows into greatness in God's sight. It is the humble, not the haughty, who ascend to greatness. Now, turn the corner with me here for a second. We know that God uses people to accomplish his work on earth. Turn to the person next to you and say, God does use people still. 
yeah, yeah. He, he still does this. This is his plan. This is the way he set things up. And the great things of God always, say the word always, not to the person. Oh, you can do it to them too, yeah. <laughs> Just say, tell me always. He always uses the humble. Or, or if you're going to read the scripture, or he will humble those he chooses to use. And so that's the way, that's the way you got one, you got one side or the other. You either humble yourself and get used or, or he will humble you and you'll get used. Either way, he gets all the glory and we get to be a part of it either voluntarily or against our will. He always uses the humble. He always chooses to work through the humble. People like Mary. Notice, now I did not say, I did not say that God always does big things or flashy things or well-known things because people are good at big and flashy and well-known. The, the culture we live in, my goodness, I was so pleased to hear pastors say this. We're, programs are not bad, but they're not the point. The presence of the Lord is the point. The passion we have for Christ is the point. His work in our lives is the point. Us experiencing more of Him is the point. That's absolutely accurate and, and purposeful. Grab hold of that gathering place family because you cannot compete with what the culture can do for hype. You will always lose that battle. But what the culture can never compete with is the presence of God. When you experience, when, when I was in your worship service this morning, and I'm just enjoying the presence of the Lord, they, they got nothing like that. No matter how loud it gets, how big it is, how bright it is, how much money they spent, they can't touch it. The big things, the flashy things, the well-known things the world can do. People can generate hype, they can generate size, they can generate recognition, but only God can accomplish truly great things. And he always uses the humble. Always uses the humble. And just pause for, this isn't in my notes, but if you think of yourself and you think, I, I just don't have a whole lot to offer the Lord, can I encourage you this morning? You are in the perfect place to be used by him. Read the book. It's always the reluctant ones that he says, oh no, yes, you. You're the one I want. You're the one I want. I mean, who's he come to, right? He comes and shows up to this little girl and her husband who's a carpenter. And shows himself to a bunch of shepherds who were outcasts culturally in that, in that time. He didn't show up to the, the rich people, the smart people, the religious people. He didn't show up to any of them. So if you see yourself and think, I don't have anything to offer. Oh, oh. If you could only see yourself the way that he sees you. You would understand that you're at the top of the list, not the bottom. Do you aspire to be great? Everybody's like, yeah, I don't want to say yes because that sounds prideful. You know what? It isn't. God wants you to be great. I mean, do do you think when you were born, he was like, oh, there's a mediocre one. (laughs) You got kids. Have you ever looked at one of your kids and be like, "Mm, I like the third one better than the fourth one, but okay, whatever. I'll take them all. Now, I hope you look at your children and you're like, oh, each one. I I never would have believed it. I have four. Never would have believed it after we had the first one that we could love the second one as much as the first. But we do. And if we'd have had 12, number 12 would be the same way. Because when, that's something that's from the Father inside of us. That When we look at our children, we have a capacity to love them with as much passion and, and depth as we do the, the, the other children we have. And he has the exact same opinion of us. He wants you to be great. Well, say those words with me, Don't, not to the person next to you. Just close your eyes for one second and say these words. I want you to say, God wants me to be great. Ready? God wants me to be great. He really does. He really does. He, he is into you and wants you to be great. He wants you to change this community. 
He wants you to change your family. He wants, you, he wants you to be the influencer and the changer in the relationships that you're a part of. He wants you to change this world. He wants you to help by your service to Him. He wants you to change the face of eternity. Like the gentleman that, that gave his heart to the Lord at the prison. Pastor Rowe, when he, when he submitted to what the Lord wanted that day and said what he was supposed to say, eternity got changed in one facet. Because someone will be there now in the presence of the Lord. But that's not just because it's Pastor Rowe, it's because he gave himself to be used. And the same is true for all of us. God wants you to be great because he wants you to do great things for his glory that change both the now and the future. But, turn to the person next to you and say, but, it's not going to come any other way than through humility. It only will come through humility. It doesn't come. It doesn't come by your efforts. It doesn't come by your striving. It doesn't come by your smarts. It doesn't come by your wealth. It doesn't come by your gifts. It comes by your humility. His plan for your greatness is just like Mary's. And I, I admit to you, and I'm almost finished. Oh, you know what that means, right? Nothing. <laughs> no, no, I really am. I'm really almost finished. I submit to you that doing this is very hard. That living a life of consistent humility is exceedingly hard. I love humility in other people. Oh, let me tell you. I'll follow a humble leader. Mm. I love it when my friends are humble. I love when my wife is humble. Is this on Facebook Live? I won't even comment about that. <clears throat> I love my children are humble and say, Dad, we did wrong. Would you help us? I say, yes, let me bless you. I love it when people around me are humble. It's much easier to experience the humility of others in a positive way. It's very easy to do that, is it not? When someone else is humble, it's like, yes. The problem is it's difficult, elusive in me, and I'm the only one that I have any control over. I'm the only one that I can actually work this thing of humility on is me. It doesn't work well for me to say to, you know, my wife, hey, you should work on humility. How well is that going to go over? Never. doesn't. But wouldn't it be wonderful to start this particular Christmas season, 2017, with kind of a resetting, a realigning, a reconnecting with this idea of humility. That we would go into these days where people's hearts are more open. There is a longing. There is an openness. There is a, a sensitivity to the things of God. Thank you, Lord, for that. To go into this season pure, contented, re renewed in our integrity, strengthened in our trust, committed to our obedience. Gathering Place family, I, I really believe God has great things for you. And I, and I don't just mean that individually. I, I, you're called. I was serious. This is a, there's good good things happening here. A lot of times churches will say, Pastor, we feel like we're right around the corner. It's just, just up around the bend. We're going to get there. I don't feel that here. Here's what I feel like is going on here. It's this. It's just a surge. It's just there's a lifting that's going on. That you guys are being pulled into something. And here's the great thing. It isn't about how good and smart and sharp and clever you all are. It's about how content and integrity filled and obedient and faithful you are. Y'all can do that. You all can do that. He has great things for you. But they'll either be accomplished or abandoned based on your humility. 
So that makes it real simple. It simplifies it all the way down to one verse. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. I want to pray for you. As an outsider who I hope to come again, but who knows when that will be. I have this wonder. I really could have preached hard because I'm leaving, you know. I mean, I could have said all kinds of stuff. But I really just want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that the Lord would put within you, it sounds crazy, but a desire for, for humility. A hunger for humility. A hunger to, to live in the accurate understanding that I am not lifted up and I am not pushed down. I am right here where Jesus wants me. And in this place, he's going to use me for his glory. Would you close your eyes right where you're at? Father God, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to be special by anyone else's estimation to be used by you, Lord. We are really very much like this young girl, Mary. And we can present ourselves before you. We can stand before you. And in our integrity and a sense of contentment, we can say, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. We just stand before you open-handed, open-hearted, eager and, and willing to be obedient to whatever you'd call us to, Lord. And Father, I pray that, that everyone in this room right now individually would feel that call and would be stirred with a hunger for humility inside of them. But also, Lord, that collectively this gathering place family would see themselves as humble, obedient servants who are going to make such impact in this town and in this county and in the region beyond and to the ends of the earth, Lord, not because of their greatness, not in the world's eyes, but because of their humility, which is your greatness, Lord. May they be passionate. May they be committed. May they be uncompromising. May they be filled with your faith. And may they be willing to walk this thing out, even when, and it surely will, even when it gets hard. Lord, strengthen them, Lord. Cover them. (laughs) Cover them, Lord. They are covered by your grace. They are covered by the blood of Jesus. They are covered by your anointing. They are covered by your blessing, Lord. Propel them, send them for your glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just one more thing. This whole message that the Lord laid on my heart started because I was meditating on Mary. Not any of the parts that we read. But in the latter part of chapter 1, book of Luke, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, she, she has this amazing encounter with her cousin, and then she, she sings a song called the Magnificat. And this is what struck me about her. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, here it is, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. That's the line. The mighty one has done great things for me. Gathering Place family, that is your testimony. 
You walk in this humility. You grab hold of this. You refuse to do what you're doing in the flesh. And you rather you are led by the Spirit. You will say, like she did, at some point in your future, for behold, generations will call me blessed. For the Almighty One has done great things for me. And holy is His name. Believe it. Grab hold of it. Amen. Pastor Rob. Wow. Wow. Let's just press into that. Just the next five minutes, right where you are. Just make that the altar. As Pastor Tim was ministering, I just kept um, hearing the Lord just speaking say this is a prophetic word for the gathering place and let this Christmas season where we tell people that we are hungry for humility let that be a defining characteristic of this church and I promise you I promise you that the miracles and what you believe in God to accomplish in your life will come to pass. God has committed his word. So right where you are, just make that your altar right there. And wherever you are, if, if you're up here and it's pride, come on, repent of that. Because that's not attractive. And if you're below and you're having people walk all over you, that's not attractive as well. Just be right here where Jesus and say, I am hungry for humility. I know Pastor Tim has prayed, but um, can we do this corporately? We do life together. Thank you, Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Now, Holy Spirit, you launch us out. Thank you, Jesus. In advance, I praise you for the great things you're going to do through us because of humility. Thank you for Pastor Tim and he brought an apostolic word, Lord. I believe it for those who perhaps are still watching on Facebook Live that this message is for your community as well. I believe this message is for this community. It's not just for us. This was a prophetic apostolic message that came. That for this city to be transformed, God has released what the criterias are. And so in this Christmas season, we will hear and we will witness with God, all things are possible. Come on. Now lay hands on yourself. If you're in need of a miracle right now in this atmosphere, come on. Lay hands on yourself by faith and say, Lord, I thank you. I'm a recipient of your miracle. 
I believe in your word. I believe that we are covered. Glory to your name, Jesus. We magnify you. We exalt your name. Come on, receive your healing now in Jesus' name. Receive your healing. What an amazing word we received this morning. In Jesus' name, Father, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. One more time, put your hands together for Pastor Tim. Praise God. Amen.